Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Ryan Harrow, former Kentucky point guard, former NC State point guard. Taylor, I think you are inexplicably in a rivalry slash really have a high level of hatred for Ryan Harrow. Is that correct? Why? Correct. Hate him. Hate him. Uh, I think it was because he was supposed to be like the man around here and then uh, just was like not good pretty much the whole time uh, at both stops. Uh, I really liked him as a uh, a recruit, but he just, I don't know, he just got talked up like he was the man, and he he was never the man. Am I wrong? No, I, I just I just feel like there's a few other people like that. I, oh, but, yeah. I mean, you just outwardly hate Ryan Harrow. I mean, I can name so many better point guards that were so much less talked about than Ryan Harrow. Decent little flat top on Ryan Harrow, though. He subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. I want to start this program by apologizing to you because we lied. Last episode, we said there would be a bracket. There obviously is not. The Shark last Sunday tweeted he would be in the war room breaking down the bracket like Tom Hanks in the Da Vinci Code. No bracket. No Hanks. Well, actually, fuck Tom Hanks. Oh, my God. I just uh, yeah, that, that one hurt, actually, right there. That right there was kind of like, have you guys ever seen the Len Bias 30 for 30 and his dad mixes up his names and he just like catches himself and it just is such a gut punch. That's, I didn't even, I forgot about the whole Tom Hanks thing already. But of course that's now impossible. We didn't get selection Sunday. We didn't get the delayed reactions from teams, film rooms and coaches homes. It's all been stripped from us. Last episode we aired, it was just no fans. The following day they levied, uh, and and said no NCAA tournament. There's no denying it. We're all hurt like hell. Has it been any better for you guys since last Thursday? How are we doing? Um, not. I mean, no. How could I be doing? How could either of us be doing any better? It it would be one thing. I guess today's the start of NFL free agency, so at least it's given us some topic for the first time in like four or five days. Something uh, to talk about other than coronavirus, but, you know, really more than anything else, it's just like tiring because we can't get away, just can't get away from it. You know, even if you finally found a show you wanted to watch, the president's going to pop in at some point and like talk for an hour about the same thing they talked about the day before and the day before and the day before. So um, at least here in Scottsdale, things aren't 
uh, quite as extreme as they are in maybe like where you guys are at in Chicago and DC, you know, 78 degrees here right now. And why I say that is because everything in Scottsdale is open air. So you can kind of still go do stuff like at least like go for a walk or go play golf or something like that. So it might be able to do a little bit of that, but no, other than that, just terrible. Shark, you still speechless from Thursday's decision. Yeah, I, I don't know how you're so chipper right now. It's actually gotten worse from my perspective. I'm not chipper. I'm not chipper. I want to describe my no, no, as chipper. Uh, that that comment sounded pretty chipper. And also, Subi's pretty chipper, too. The fact that he was able to speak like that at the beginning of this show. It's gotten worse for me. Um, you know, I, I thought it's just like the constant reminders, like selection Sunday, you're thinking, Oh my gosh, it's five o'clock. What am I? I'm watching love is blind over here. I should be rearing up for some gumble right now. I should be getting gumble here in a minute. And then yeah, I thought I was doing all right on Saturday. And then, you know, I'm playing call of duty. I'm trying to get that kill to death ratio a little bit closer to 1.0. Wasn't quite there struggling on that front right now. I'm getting worked by people online. Um, and then I started thinking, I forget who it was. Someone in the group text sent something out about anything. And then I just started thinking about, oh my God, what if Duke was playing Belmont at the 710 slot on Thursday night? How good would that be? Or if I'm walking out of work on Friday afternoon into a Providence, Texas Tech slate or anything like that. And I just really started doing some internal damage to myself at that point. So it, it, it has gotten substantially worse. It's going to be terrible this Thursday. Oh my God. My gosh, it's going to be bad. And really, the only distraction that gets you to not think about it is this world crisis that's happened. So that's not going to pick you up anywhere as well. You're just seeing tweet after tweet about how I mean, the, the curve's getting crazier and we're shutting down even more. So the, our distraction is something 10 times more important than March Madness. So we're living in just in a pit of misery right here, and it's going around and around, and we got nothing to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I am glad you mentioned Love is Blind, though. Maybe that's why I'm a little chipper, because I've just been burying Netflix shows, some good reality television. But you're right. And I've said this. I said this the second the tournament got stripped away from us. I said Thursday is going to be the toughest day. We're going to be riding on pure emotion over the weekend, maybe have some beers, still no work. But Thursday, not having taken any PTO, having to work, knowing that whatever's on TV absolutely pales in comparison to the, to the 12 hours that we were going to get on Thursday and Friday. That's when it's really going to hit us and it's going to be a complete and utter gut punch. You know what else actually didn't help me at all? I know it's a good story and it's very sweet and we're actually going to try and get one of the creators of the, uh, this, this one shining moment, some student at NC state, but all those one shining moment videos that are coming out for particular schools, that's that's a gut punch right there. Yeah, body I, blow after body blow. I haven't I haven't watched one of those videos yet. I've seen them. I've seen them come come, come across the timeline. Not watching it. I'm telling you right now, I'm not showing up to that interview with that kid. All the best to him, but I'm not going to be there. Can't the, do it. The first 20 seconds of those videos, I quit because it's these beautiful establishing shots of either players or the arena or you know the locker room, and then you hear the doom doom doom. And then I'm out. I'm out. I don't even get to the ball is tipped. Ball is not tipped. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird to be living in a time, I, I think, not to be super melancholy or somber about this. The only other time I can think that's equivalent to this, where we, we know that we're living in a history book chapter, is like 9-11. And, I, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily the, the shock and, and stuff that that was, but this is the only other time I can think in, in our times on this planet that it, like this is going to be like a chapter in a history book, not like a paragraph. This is going to be like a whole section. And that's just kind of strange. Um, yeah, you know, I actually tortured myself this weekend, though. I watched I watched both Arizona losses to Oregon from this previous year. Uh Simply because I'd almost rather lo- watch a loss than watch nothing at all. Is that like it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all? No, not sound? in this scenario, man. I'm telling you, watch something else. There's I actually know, it's, good it's options. Painful. I'm just letting you know. Don't subject yourself to that. So have your guys' uh, fiancés, right, both fiancés? Yeah, both fiancés. Uh, have they gotten to the point where they're asking you why you're watching games that you knew what the outcome was already? I'm not even watching them. 
I'm not watching any game. I mean, I mean, not even just from this last year, just like any of the replays they've done in general. Like I was literally watching the 2016 Big Ten semifinal the other day. On like I can't, I, I can't do that either. I, 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 it takes too much for me to get myself to that level. Now, I, I, I can appreciate you watching those previous games. A little teaser for your interview in this episode. You're going to get a little talk from Babcock related to uh, scouting players that could really surge themselves up the draft board with Peyton Pritchard. Maybe that's a good, some good tape that NBA GMs are going to be looking at. But I, I frankly just. I have no desire to watch the games right now because you're getting just brutal FOMO associated with it. You know, I caught myself this week. We went to brunch on Sunday at Phoenix Beer Company. Shout out their Phoenix Beer Company. Maybe friend of the program. Maybe we should get them to sponsor us. Yeah. But I, you know, it's just, it, it's, it, you're catching yourself like when you're looking at phone, your phone for scores and stuff like that. But you're also catching yourself because all of these restaurants and bars and stuff still have like, the same channels on the screen that they would normally for a normal weekend. So it's literally like a replay of some random big East game. And I'm looking up in the middle of like every third word to like, look at the score of this game that I already know happened four years ago. You just don't realize it's kind of like when you hurt like your pinky or something like that. And you don't realize how much you like use your pinky. This is kind of catching yourself of, yo, you don't realize how much you are reliant on looking up at the TV or like down at your phone win until it's all gone yeah so uh, two points to your initial question first of all when they play those reruns it's not necessarily why are you watching these games where you know the uh the the outcome already it's oh shit wait are they playing like who's who's not canceled it's like this is like from 2009 that's fucking carl krauser and i sound like an idiot it's like that's clearly carl krauser right that's that's not whoever the pit point guard is today. So that's that's more so the questions that I'm getting is whoa, are there, you know, is it, are there some teams or whatever that's that haven't gotten canceled? The other one, Taylor, you know how often we complain and piss and moan about bars and and sports bars, especially that are just terrible with their TV situation. They'll have the chive or something playing as opposed to Duke Carolina. Actually, two weeks ago, we had to request to get Duke Carolina on over a spring training game beside myself but this is now bars no longer have to get asked by patrons hey can you change it to this channel can you change it to that channel go go do like actually i i want the bars to revert to their to their old selves to their typical selves don't put any fucking sports on there's not like there's any to put on but just now you can put on the chive now you can put on some stupid show right or movie there's nothing else going on you wouldn't believe how expensive the Chive TV is for bars and restaurants, by the way. This is a complete side note, but kind of the same note. It's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars per month, even on a bar with like eight TVs. And could you imagine your bar is spending $1,000 a month on the Chive TV instead of just teaching your bartenders what the fucking sports channels are that you already pay for? But that's, I guess, that's a whole side conversation. But, it looks like it's paying off right now, I guess. Yeah, I guess for t- for these t- tough, good investment for these tough times, I guess. Well, actually, it's not because here in Illinois, you can't dine in. I, I'm sure uh, you can, but no dine in, baby. Well, yeah, that's the only, th- like I said at the intro here, everything's open air here. So I wonder how that's going to play out. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Well, it's tough to speculate, but I, I, who knows? Because everything's a patio here. So that's my only solace is that we still have that going for us right now. A couple of non-coronavirus points that we can touch on briefly here. Shark, your boy, Patino, back in Division One basketball. This has been quite a trajectory for Patino since we started, Titch. I believe he was still the head coach at Syrac- or at Louisville, or was it a year removed? It might have been a year removed. He might have been at Panathinaikos, but you were following him religiously, and I think at least in the Titch uh, world, you were lobbying for him to be back. He's back in Iona. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely happy to see that. He's he's a great coach. I saw some funny uh, Gottlieb. Gottlieb called him like the best coach of our in the world of our generation. That was that was quite a take from our guy Gottlieb. There, Lo- love Gottlieb. Um, uh, aside from that, Patino, uh, some of his comments about taking the Iona job. He's like, you know, I really just wanted to go to a small school in the Northeast. 
okay guy like like you're not going to iona for two years to prove that you can turn them around and then you're going to end up taking um like the texas job after that or some other ucla or no, not ucla mccrone is there maybe arizona somewhere else nice retirement state but patino is clearly doing this to re rehab his image here so I, I like that he's saying the party line providence guys are probably going to lose their mind because he he also has the the one-liner out there that the Wish he never left Providence way back when, huh? You guys got to live with that then. Tell you got I, any thoughts on Rick? I think I think some of those Providence guys still haven't left Providence. Maybe they never will leave Providence. They they might still be all on campus for the foreseeable future. Um, but what about the UConn job post? Maybe if Dan Hurley goes somewhere. Patino well, he's he's, he, he's not going anywhere on his own volition, Dan Hurley. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily okay. saying that. Just want to yeah. make sure that's clear. That would what a fit that would be there. Um, yeah, I, I I just love that we can at least bring like strippers and like cocaine jokes back into the fold uh, for Patino's team. Iona is kind of like the perfect size college for a comeback. They have a decent enough basketball history that it's like not a and they're not a nobody like a nobody, nobody. Uh, and they could still steal a, a bid next year in, in, you know, in a conference tournament or whatever. I don't, I don't know what they're looking like next year, obviously, but you really, in those type of schools, you only need a guy. You just need a dude and he can lead you to the, you know, the conference title. And so, you know, Patino is going to be able to recruit a dude or a grad transfer or someone like that. So, I think it's a great fit for Patino. His quotes made me think, and now that we have nothing to do, I read this book last summer by Gene Wojciechowski, The Last Great Game. It's about Duke and Kentucky and uh, the Leitner shot, leading up to the Leitner shot, and it's following Krzyzewski's rise at Duke, and it's following um, Patino going to Kentucky. And I swear to God, there's definitely a quote that he has in there when he's getting recruited to go to Lexington. And at the time he's the head coach of the New York Knicks where he's like, I'm never leaving this job. This is the greatest job ever. So he really just regurgitates the greatest job of all time in order to go justify him leaving there to, to go to the next stop. So that's a good book. If you guys want to read something and you got some withdrawals, you got, they, they really follow the rise of Bobby Hurley. They follow the rise of, Jamal Mashburn, all these guys, and how they end up in their respective place in college basketball history. I think it'd be perfect for Patino and so on brand if he just came full circle and like ended up coaching at URI in two years, potentially. He goes from Kentucky to Louisville, then goes from Providence at the very beginning of his career, then go to the interstate rival at, at Rhode Island. That'd be something to watch. And then I also want to give a shout-out to Tim Cluis. I feel bad for Cluis because he's a titan at Iona. Easily their greatest basketball coach of all time. And then you just get this hot shot name like Rick Patino coming in. And I feel like everybody's just completely forgotten about Cluis. Nobody cares about him anymore. Yeah, he was a sweet coach. Iona was always a popular pick in the tournament. They always played super fast, up and down, right in your face. And uh, he's stepping down, I guess, for health reasons. Hopefully he's okay. But Patino's going to come in and electrify New Rochelle. You know, one of our former Arizona guys, Momo Jones, uh, transferred from Arizona to Iona. And they had, God, I can't remember the other guard on that Iona team, but I think they both were like 20-point scorers in the same season when Momo Jones was there. I think that it must have been, Subi, like 13, 12 yeah, or 13? I think it was 12. Yeah. That was another team that was, yeah, just like you were saying, though, super fun, up and down. They had two just – little diminutive guards let's call them that were tiny but they were running up and down the court and scoring the scoring the rock last little news and note that i want to bring the shark in here for to do a little soliloquy as we enter the off season there's going to be a lot of barren like it's going to be a wasteland on espn's college basketball page all right so much like last year we're going to be scraping for content uh, in the college basketball world so what we've decided to do is uh, start our own what's what's the best term for it not a bible but a manifesto so this manifesto this was concocted uh in the deep winter of 2014 along with the barn chief logue a couple other guys we were bored we were in law school we needed something to do and we love college basketball so we got together one night and we put it together where we wanted to go through and break down who is the best, or I guess we'll call it a who, 
what is probably better. What's the best college basketball program? You know, factoring everything. Recency, so UCLA, maybe you're a little slacking a little bit. Um, you know, longevity of the, how good they've been. Factor everything in. Do you want to know who's a better program, Oklahoma State or Villanova? I hate to tell you, but it's actually pretty closer than you may think. So we went through a long time ago and we broke down all these different programs. And I think the better way to do it than what, the way we did it way back when is to do it in a sense of a uh, NFL 100 type list. But we'll do 50 where we're going to break down and we're going to come up with this. We'll be blogging it at the same time. Who are the 50? What are the best, <laughs> the top 50 college basketball programs? We'll release 50 through 45 one week. We'll go through, we'll explain, you know, why they are ranked where they are. We factor in final fours, lead eight appearances, uh, players that they've churned out, um, consistency. And there's no real metric, but we try to metric it uh, as good as we can. So it is a good activity um, for you to kind of take a step back in this hiatus that we're in look at this thing and say, you know what? These guys are actually the best. Do you ever wonder uh, who should be the top program between uh, – give, give me one here, Sue. Who do you think's better? Kentucky or Cincinnati? Right now, hold on. Cincinnati oh. or uh, Arizona? Well, I mean, that's a bad question to ask me. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to say Arizona. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a good – There's that's not – the recency on Cincinnati is not – I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yancey, Yancey Gates is, is our best player yeah, in the so last 20 years. Uh, I, if I were you, I'd stop rambling because you're wrong. Because Cincinnati's won two national championships. They've gotten the six Final Fours, a late 80 lead eights, 26 uh, conference championships, which beats you guys in every category except the lead eights. So they're better than you think. And that's the point of this manifesto. We'll break them down 50 to 1. So. Oh, excuse me. I, I was gonna say it's it's gonna be funny because I actually think, and I know we talked about Arizona more than we probably should on this program, but Arizona might be one of the more polarizing choices, not not just because our bias, but because of their lack of top end uh, value. Let's call it that. Like you just said, Cincinnati has more national championships than Arizona does. Subi, sorry, I interrupted you though. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I was just gonna say you you had a uh, you had a good point there, but my only piggyback on this segment or of what we're going to be doing in here in the off season, much like the NFL top hundred. Can we, I'm going to have to get these sound effects. Like every time they introduce a new number, it's like steel hitting steel. It's like, we gotta do, do knew that. that. We got to do a list of like, probably for each program, we'll do their five best players. And then their five most like notable for 30 year old guys like us that we remember in recent tournaments, we'll do a list of our top five there. We'll think of it. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And, um, you know, it'll be something that isn't like a bracket that everybody on Twitter is posting out. What was the better game? The 07 Villanova Georgetown or the 19 North Carolina, uh, Virginia tech in the ACC turn, like, shut up. Nobody's going to vote on this. We're all sick of that. We're going to go do something a little different. We also got to get all of our guests back on just to give us a really quick soundbite. Like, again, in the NFL Top 100, you got people looking at the names, and it's like, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins at at 30 or something. DeAndre Hopkins, hug for you. Come to to your city, Taylor. But DeAndre Hopkins at 30, and then you got to get guys like, 30? This guy's 30? (laughs) <laughs> or like, and we just equate that to whatever team. Like, if we have, if someone finds it, you know, absurd. So those are just the the parallels that I think we need to bring, and I'll, I'll be responsible for that. Taylor, you had a question. Yeah, I, you know, I think that this is probably going to be the last episode we reference this season before us or the, behind us. I guess I should say, is that correct? Would you say? Yes. To okay. quote Ben Affleck in the town, we got to rear view this thing. Put it in the rear view. We're moving forward. So I have I have some thoughts on the previous season, but is there anything that you guys want to say, maybe a sentence or three, you know, about the season we had as we kind of put a bow on it before we move on? No, I'm not ready. It's still too raw. It sucks. I I will I'll I'll say something here just because as sad and downtrodden the three of us are about it. It could be a lot worse. And we've touched on this a little bit beforehand, Subi. It could be a lot worse. We could be fans of Dayton. Uh, actually kind of a nice year for Tennessee to be down and bringing in two five-stars and a high four-star next year. Nice play, Ricky Barnes. It, it, Arizona's going nowhere. Our teams are going nowhere. We're not We're not Providence, the hottest team they've ever had. This could have been the year that Ed Cooley finally broke through. Ed Cooley's still one in five in NCAA tournament games, by the way. Another year without a win. 
Penn State, Wins Rutgers. Yeah, all those teams, Peyton Pritchard, Miles Powell, all these guys that just had the rug ripped out from underneath them. So put it in context, but context can still suck. You know, so I've been trying to find the right way to use this analogy, and this is probably going to be the best time I could ever have. And that is, you know, this season was kind of like the girl in middle school or high school that has um, pocketless jeans. You guys remember that girl? I fucking love that girl. You know, the season, like, started off kind of hot. You know, Champions Classic, you know, things are uh, things are kind of crazy, you know. But as the season wore on, things got a real dysfunctional really quickly. And although they were still attractive to the viewer, you knew that, like, this season was kind of way out in left field. And then it ended too quickly because she probably had a kid, like, her junior year of high school. And that's pretty much what we had happen here. If graduation was the NCAA tournament, she her life changed inexplicably before graduation even hit and that's i think what we have here i think this season was the girl in middle school and high school who wears pocketless jeans phenobla eloquently put i love that analogy that comparison because everyone has that girl growing up from middle school that just peaked way too early and i can't imagine the number of girls like that that fit that description from alaska but across this country yeah uh, you're you're spot on there, Taylor. Let me just make sure to say that I I just there's a number of guys that could sit into this uh, scenario as well. I just don't you know I obviously don't have the uh, the uh, can't think of the top of my head what the connection would be like. What's the what's the analogy for the guy that peaked early in this situation? I don't know, but that's a tired yeah, analogy. Like the f- former varsity football player or something. The pocketless jeans is good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a universal. Uh, Uh, universally loved or universally known analogy. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our interview with NBA draft analyst, Matt Babcock. But before we do that, a quick message from our friend Zach at the Barnburner podcast network. All right. We now welcome to the program, NBA draft analyst, former NBA agent and former Arizona basketball player, Matt Babcock. Matt, it honestly be irresponsible of us uh, if we didn't start with the biggest news in college basketball. And that is, the cancellation of the NCAA tournament. I promise I'll ask more specific questions as this interview goes on, but to kick us off, can you just give us your initial thoughts on the decision and how you're feeling not only as a professional in this industry, but as a fan? Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a crazy few days. I mean, I mean, to start off, I, you know, I was supposed to be in in New York for the big East tournament right now. uh, And then I was supposed to go to the big 10 tournament tomorrow uh, so yeah, it was Monday night. I uh, had all my bags packed. You know, was going on a big trip. Uh, had a 7:30 a.m. flight, and uh, my dad had called me that night. Um, he, he works for the Milwaukee Bucks. He was going to the Big East tournament too, and uh, he said, you know, it got wind that a, a number of teams were pulling all their scouts off the road, and we just we both kind of got you know a little nervous and uh, decided to scratch the trip and push it back a day and see you know see what uh, see what was said and. Obviously, you know, as you guys have followed, I mean, it just escalated more and more. And, um, yeah, the, the whole thing's scratched. Um, you know, as far as the decision goes, you know, they, they, they've made the right decision. I, I thought it was, uh, was kind of chaotic how it all went down. I thought it should have been, you know, all of the conferences together and the NCAA sort of saying, hey, this is, this is how we're take, you know, taking this. Um, and it just seemed pretty unorganized. But, you know, they, they needed to cancel this. We need to get ahead of this as a society and um, kind of get, get ahead of it. So Matt, before we get into some specific questions about scouting and specific players that you know we want to talk about, would you mind sharing a little bit about your path, where you where you started, and how you ended up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I'll try to make a long story short. So, uh, important things, you know, I grew up in a basketball family. Uh, my dad, and my two uncles have all worked in the NBA for for years. My my oldest uncle, Uncle Pete, um, started working in the NBA in the late '70s, um, and you know. It, sort of been, you know, turned into a family business. My, my two cousins are coaches in the NBA. Um, you know, we all played in, in college on some level or another. And uh, when, when I finished school, I uh, had planned to be a coach or going to scouting like my dad and uh, just trying to find a job in basketball. And my first job was uh, with a big sports agency. And uh, it was still, I still didn't think I was going to work, work as an agent. Um, I, I was doing all of their, uh, I was helping Dave Yeager, who at the time was a, a D-League, now G-League, uh, head coach. Um, we were doing all their pre-draft workouts. And so I did that as a summer internship. It was great. 
took a took a head uh, excuse me assistant coaching position with a pro team in Italy, um, and then from there I got offered a job with a big agency. Moved back to LA. Um, Ten years later, I, you know I've been in the agency business, and you know talked to my wife and say, hey, you know I, I'm just so sick of this. Like I want to get back to doing more you know basketball related things, things that I was you know I, I felt I was born to do. Uh, growing up in my family and made a drastic move and, and got out, sold, sold off my agency um, and uh, started scouting for uh NBA scouting service called Marty Blake and associates. And I was just doing it on my own as volunteer scouting. And uh, so what happened was I was doing that really loved it, loved the scouting knew that no matter what I was going to do next, like for the long term, I wanted to be involved in the draft and evaluating players. Uh, and during that time I got approached by sports illustrated to write a series of stories um, you know, about the pre-draft process as, you know, from an agent's perspective. And so I started doing that. I, you know, I had a number of people call me asking me for help, um, you know, different agents and players just wanted to pick my brain. And it kind of got to the point where I was, you know, sort of sickened for, you know, working for free. So I started charging people and turned it, turn it into a consulting business. And, um, you know, I did that, you know, operate like that for a while and, uh, you know, put together this idea of like, Hey, why don't I create my own entity and do all of those things under one umbrella and get some guys that are, you know, have some NBA experience that are in between jobs to, to work with me and utilize the the platform as well. And um, you know, launched Babcock Hoops, you know, a little over a year ago, and um, you know, sort of taken on a life of its own. But that's uh, that's that's the, the long story. You know, not quite as long as it could be. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's a tremendous journey there, Matt. It, it sounds like what a lineage, by the way. You know, you're, you said your cousin, your dad, your uncle. You guys are like the berries of front office <laughs> slash scouting basketball. Yeah, no, we're, we're running all over the place. Yeah. So speaking of the draft and what you're preparing for with this abbreviated college basketball season, what does this mean for NBA ready players like a Vernon Carey or a, uh, you know or any number one overall pick? What does this mean for NBA ready players in terms of declaring training? entering off-season regiments and getting ready for this draft ultimately? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, every every player and, you know, their their circle, whether it's parents, coaches, or whatever, these are the conversations that are going to be going on over the next few days because what's going to happen is all of these agents have been knocking their doors down. And, and some players have been meeting with agents and coaches, you know, some wait till after the season. But, I mean, we're here now. These agents are going to be ruthless trying to sign new clients. And, um you know, I, I think I think there'll be a lot of players signing with agents quickly. Uh, some some guys will will wait, uh, but I I actually think it would be wise to you know really aggressively attack the process of selecting an agent if you're you know for sure going to be in the draft just to get organized because with this being su- such a unique year and so much uncertainty as as far as how the pre-draft goes, I think you need to kind of get your ducks in a row. And it kind of put together some different contingency plans as far as, hey, if this happens, we're going to do this, you know, and so on and so forth. And so having, you know, representation in place is, is important. So, yeah, I'd expect that to happen quickly. And, you know, another part of that, too, is with the college season ending is, uh, I mean, I would imagine the coaching carousel is going to start like that, too. I mean, there's, you know, that's a competitive business. And a lot of these schools are going to lose a lot of money. And so, I mean, you know, one coach gets fired. You know, you know, whoever's playing on fire, their coach is probably going to happen quick so they could get their new guy. There's always been talks of, you know, a recency bias. And there's actually been a couple studies about it, about players performances in March Madness and their ultimate draft position. I always go back and I think of Shabazz Napier. What do you have been drafted as high in 14 if he didn't carry his team to a title? How much do you value the performance of a player on the highest stage in a tournament when you are forecasting their performance at the next level? Well, you know, I think it's it's tough. I mean, I, I personally try and take it, you know, each player on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, I think a player that that moves up, it's he's getting exposure in, in you know, showing off the things that he can do. But I mean, sometimes the exposure backfires too. You know, if a guy if a team goes deep in the tournament and the star player doesn't play well, he's being overexposed. And so it's just it really it really depends on the player. Um, I mean, I, I always, you know, take the approach with, with guys or when I was an agent, I take approach with guys. Okay. If you're not comfortable with what your, your, you know, your market value is, let's go out and play, you know, let's not hide from different workouts. Let's not, you know, do, you know, dodge the, the, the live play at the combine. If you're a senior and you're not projected to be drafted, you need to go to Portsmouth, you know, different things like that. And, um, it, you know, it really just, it really just sort of depends on, on each, each player. 
So Matt, I want to transition back to your time as an agent. I think the biggest thing that I'm interested in is who are some of the notable names that you represented? Uh, well, you know, I worked for a number of different different agents and agencies. Um, you know, I worked for a, a, you know some huge companies uh, early on in my career, where I was sort of like a junior agent, secondary agent. Uh, and during that time, I mean, I, I've worked with you know, everybody. Uh, Kevin Garnett, Chauncey Billups were the star names for one agency I worked for. Uh, another was you know, we had Jason Kidd, Paul Pierce, um, and then I, I took a partnership role with a, a slightly smaller agency where I was a little bit more involved with each guy. And we had a good group of guys too: uh, Andrew Bogut, Pages Stoyakovich, Gary Neal. I mean, we had like ten guys, and I was pretty involved with that. We had Ron Artest, uh, who's made a world piece now. Um, and then when I went on my own, I uh, I got sick of the big agency stuff. It just the recruiting was brutal. Uh, you know, you, you had to um, leverage yourself so much in that business. Just you know, to sign a, a lottery pick, the amount of money it costs just to cover their training and just the the basic needs. Not 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 discussing anything like with a bribe or anything like that. But the initial investment in, in a rookie player was a lot, and I just I didn't feel that comfortable with it. The the players' union doesn't give you a ton of protection to to keep your players, and so I just uh, I, I kind of fell into a niche of recruiting and representing guys that were more of second round picks and fringe NBA players, and you know creating an infrastructure where I had somewhat of an import export business internationally too. So I was representing European players that are coming to the NBA, and so I uh, with that business model, I had to represent a lot more players. So we ended up having a lot, just not as many star players. I'm glad you brought that up because it's easy. It must be easy for an agent, you know, especially a higher, higher, an agent higher in the echelon at CAA or Rock Nation to identify who the clear lottery players are. But I've always been drawn to those guys that are great college players, but don't necessarily have the NBA bodies or measurables. I'm thinking along the lines of like the Fred Van Vliet's, the Della Vadova's, TJ McConnell's, Malcolm Brogdon's, maybe, maybe even like a Draymond Green when he was pudgy at Michigan State. The diamonds and the like, everyone knows that they can play, but can it translate to the NBA level? Can you think, uh, you know, whether it's in your career or anyone that you watch playing throughout this year that could fall into that mold? You know, there's actually a handful of guys this year that that are terrific college players that I'm I'm questioning how they translate. And uh, um, I mean, Peyton Pritchard at, at Oregon. I mean, I think he falls in that boat. You know, he's not the quickest kid, but he's a player. You know, and so it's one of these deals of if I'm looking at, you know, who who's going to make it as far as like physical attributes. You know, I mean, he's crossed off the list easily. But with him being such a tough, gutsy kid, you know, he's hard to bet against. Uh, I think Cassius Winston falls in that category uh, for Michigan State. Uh, Marcus Howard at, at Marquette. You know, I mean, he's, uh, you know, five. they list him at 5'11", 180, um, and he's really a, a shooting guard. And so, I mean, he is severely undersized. But, I mean, that guy's proven he could fill it up. You know, does it translate? I don't know. But, you know, guys like this, it, it's uh, – you know, sort of, it's an interesting evaluation because it's it's challenging. Uh, I think my Miles uh, Miles Powell from Seen Hall, I think he falls in that too. And so, yeah, this year specifically, there's there's a lot of guys in that boat. The compatibility between you and the Shark here, by the way, Shark, you said T.J. McConnell. Obviously, that's that's our boy being Arizona guys. And then Matt, I don't think you you realize how much he loves Peyton Pritchard. He's <laughs> been on the Peyton Pritchard wagon since what August. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that clip for a while and play it on loop. So I, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> All right, no, that's good. You know, it's funny. He he is very similar to TJ, but he, but he shoots the ball better. I don't know if he's quite as quick as T. I mean, you know, T, not like TJ is super quick, but uh, I think Peyton's even a little little slower footed than uh, than TJ. Uh, but man, Peyton can really stroke, and he's got deep range. That's you know, which comes at a premium. Well, I think he hit three or four daggers. Maybe not necessarily game winning shots, but five, 10 seconds left in the, in the game clock. And he just, I mean, that shot against Washington, I think is probably on his, on his highlight reel. Number one there in Seattle. Yeah. And and if if I remember correctly, I I believe that he's got some stat, like he won, I think he won four state championships um, in high school. And so I think think that, yeah, I think it is true. And obviously, you know, he's, he's a four year starter at this point. He went to the final four his freshman year. He, he, he's tested. It's just a matter of whether or not, you know, he can actually cover Damian Lillard and other point guards at the next level. Sure. And I think he needs to adjust his game a bit. I mean, he's he's a pretty ball-dominant guy that's looking to score. I think he's going to need to to kind of actually probably play a little bit more like TJ does, uh, where, you know, he has more of a balance of being a scorer and a distributor. I mean, because at Oregon, I mean, he's he's their guy. He's looking, he's looking to fill it up. And uh, it, Peyton Pritchard 
if you take a step back and look at his career arc and the bookend of his career, he starts with a final four and unfortunately it ends so abruptly like this. Not many players are, are able to say that they've had such a unique collegiate career like Peyton. Yeah, no um, kidding. So the best thing at this point that we can do is speculate. And I suppose we would have been speculating regardless if the tournament was still being played. But what, what I want to ask you, Matt, is which mid-major outside of Dayton and San Diego State do you think could have made a Cinderella-type run? Oh boy, I don't know. I mean, I was gonna say I was gonna say Dayton, and San Diego State. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I I don't have anybody. No, nobody off the top of my head that I'm thinking. Hey, that that was the team that they're gonna make a run. I mean, I I think this year I was really looking forward to the tournament just because there is so much parity, and I think you know a lot of people have been negative about it and say, hey, you know, we we're, we're missing some of these you know, powerhouse teams. But to me, you know, it's an opportunity to have more competitive games, and I'm just I'm a big fan of watching competitive basketball and watching guys get after it, and you know, teams having having some hope. So I, I'm glad that question was asked because this is one that I've always wondered about how the professionals look at elite players at the college level uh, with the one and done rule being in place as it is right now. Obviously, these guys got to go to college or they have to go play overseas. But how do you evaluate a, a an elite talent? that plays for a bad team. So I'm, I'm talking kind of like Anthony Edwards on Georgia right now. He's going to be a top five pick at this point, but the team sucked. Uh, John Morant last year, he played on a probably even, even worse team, Murray state, and they were successful. But even if you go back a little further, you got Ben Simmons at LSU. They don't even make the tournament. Do you, is that baked into the calculus at all? Or how, how do you guys co- uh, make an adjustment on that? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, going back to, you know, looking at each case, in a case by case manner, I mean, I, it's hard to, to just follow one blueprint. Like, hey, this is exactly how we're, we're evaluating a game. Uh, you need to kind of adjust and adapt, you know, with an evaluation process. And um, you know, yeah, Anthony Edwards is a perfect example there. I mean, I, you know, I, I was with him in Maui for several days. I saw him at Memphis, and he, uh, you know, it was crazy. So we had, and I, I you know, for whatever reason, he, he didn't do many of the high school events last year. So I, my first time seeing him live was in Maui, which is. Uh, you know, not not usually the norm for a top top kid coming out of high school. I usually see them at least once or twice. And uh, so I went in went into Mount. He'd, he'd been struggling a little bit the first day. Um, I mean, he was horrible. And uh, I, you know, th- didn't say anything verbally to anybody. But I was starting to think, like, man, I don't know. Like, he he doesn't look very good. Doesn't look like a top pick in the draft. And then the second game was against Michigan State. It was a really hyped up game. And first half, same thing. I mean, he was struggling, playing with no confidence. Decision making was bad you know, bad, bad team defender. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm going to have to drop this guy in the mock draft. And the second half it was probably the best performance I'd ever seen from a college player ever. I think he had 33 points. I mean, he went, he went off and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the first row right behind, uh, I think Jay Billis was doing the game and I've got, I had a, had a great tweet that pretty much went viral. I a video of him in a deep three and, you know, uh, celebrating after, and, you know, it, uh, Obviously, since then, I've, I've tracked him closely and I've seen him play live again. He's just very up and down. I mean, he is not a finished product. Their team's not very good, like you mentioned. Um, he's tough. I mean, he's going to go He's gonna go in the top few picks just because of his upside. I mean, he's got prototypical uh, you know, physical attributes, and he's got, he's got you know, a tough shot-making ability, uh, puts it on the floor. But, you know, he's not a finished product. There are some things that he needs to, to, to get better at. And so, like, when you have a lot of room for growth, there's a big what if there because it's just like, okay, he's probably it's probably going to click. From my understanding, he's a good guy. It's probably going to click, but you know, when the, when there are things that have to click and they don't, now now you've got some bust potential. And so he scares me a little bit. I mean, granted, he's he's going to probably going to be a one, two, or three pick, um, you know. But it, it's it's challenging to, to evaluate a guy that's not on a very good team. Um, that's not a finished product as well. I mean, going back to what you said about John Morant, I think the difference there is it was easy to see see what he can do. I mean, he was killing it. I went and saw them play at Murray State, and I walked away. That that was about as much fun as I've ever seen. Uh, you know, you know, as far as watching a, a prospect like that, I mean, he, he was uh, off the hook. And uh, aside from Anthony Edwards, that second half I saw in, in Maui, he's been very up and down. So, you know, I don't know. 
I'll, I'll tell you real quick that, you know, our fan base is going to like you. We got a lot of Memphis Grizzly fans. So you're saying good things about Jai. You referenced Dave Yeager earlier in the show that they're, they're, they're going to like this interview right here. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. And going back to that Maui tournament, it stinks to say because we don't have any NCAA tournament, but that probably was the best tournament of, of the year with the amount of talent. You look at Kansas who, showed themselves even then and throughout the year that they were probably the best team in the country. Obi Toppin was there. And then of course, Anthony Edwards. So that Maui Invitational had a lot of, a lot of great talent. No, you're absolutely right. You know, it was funny. It was my first time uh, ever going to the Maui Invitational and uh, probably my favorite event I've, I've ever been to. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and go each year if, if the teams are, which they, you know, they always are, but uh, if the teams, you know, make sense from a scouting standpoint, uh, just a great, great trip. It was a lot of fun. And, it's a small building. It's almost like a you know big high school gym, so it's not a bad seat in the in, in the place. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. How could you hate it? You're on vacation essentially watching a game that you love. You gotta you gotta humor me here for a second though. I went on an absolute tangent a couple episodes ago about hoops and nets, and I feel like the Lahaina Center is infamous for their buttery soft rims. Are they as soft and forgiving as people make it out to seem? Oh yeah, for sure. Then yeah, no, I, I noticed that for sure. Um. Yeah, there, there was a lot of lot of uh, you know shooters touch type type makes in that that tournament. Yeah. So Matt, I want to pivot real quick. Is it fair to discuss his future with the team after what many are considering an underwhelming season, and also the past four years being a bit underwhelming? What say you about Sean Miller's future? You know, this is a tough one. You know, obviously being you know, growing up in Arizona, going there. Um, you know, I've got the basketball way of looking at it. Uh, and then the fan part of me looking at it and, you know, it's, you know, loot had things rolling so good. I mean, the expectations are so high at Arizona now. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like the program is where it was with loot. I mean, you know, my last year there was Oh four Oh five. Um, you know, we, we, we lost in the elite eight. Uh, I personally thought we were the best team in the country and, you know, um, God, we just we just can't get over the hump with, with with Sean Miller. It seems like, and um, like this year, I mean, we've got you know, if you look at my mock draft, we got three solid first round picks, and we only won twenty one games, and it's just that's frustrating. And you know, I, I personally like Sean Miller. I know him a little bit, and I think he's a good coach. Um, you know, but you know, I think this is his eleventh year. I mean, I'm I'm assuming he's getting some serious heat. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him see him be fired. I'm not saying that is what should happen or what I want to happen, um, you know. But it's hey, this this is Arizona. I mean, we're we're we're, we're proud people. Um, you know, we we need some results. Right, and I'll defer to the shark here for for his question. But I think you're spot on. the The only thing that irks me the most about the fan base right now is that it seems as if Sean Miller to them is beyond reproach in terms of questioning his future. I don't necessarily know if he should be fired. I don't know if he, if I want him fired, but the fact that we can't even have that discussion uh, is, is kind of, it's, it's outlandish to me at least. Well, sure. I think, you know, one part of it too, which is a slightly separate conversation is I, I'm not sure that the Arizona program uh, athletics program in general has quite as much money as everybody else thinks, you know, this is not a big sec football school. Um, you know, and so the, the basketball credibility is high, but I don't think, I don't think the, the resources match. And that's a big part, you know, big issue as far as like the back end business of it is, you know, I mean, when, when does his contract end? Do you know? I have zero clue. Yeah. I think he, I think he's got another year on his contract. So I, I'm assuming if they want him out, you know, that that's part of the conversation is okay. Who are we going to replace him with? And how much money is it going to cost? You know, and so it's not always as simple as all right. He hasn't he hasn't been in the final four. Um, you know, we need a new guy. It's like all right, well, well, who's the new guy, and how much does he cost, and you know, how much money do do we have to spend? And uh, so I and those are all those all things I, I don't have the answer to, but um, I'm definitely watching very closely. Yeah, so I mean, my question was going to kind of piggyback off that, and really, as we wrap up here, just for our listeners, the mock draft that excuse me, the mock draft was mentioned here, babcockhoops.com. We'll, we'll plug it for you afterwards. Right now, your top three are Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, and the Obi Toppin. Pretty cool blog on there as well from the other contributors with your firm. But I, I want to ask you, so dream candidate, I guess, for Arizona. We, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. I'm not an Arizona guy, but I posited to the the other guys on the show. Would it be Chris Beard? Would it be Mark Few? Luke Walton, who who would be the dream candidate? And then I guess if you have a realistic target as well, assuming 
you know, the buyout isn't going to completely hamstring the organization. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've had a lot of uh, you know, friends, you know, uh, talk to me about this and I've actually put a lot of thought into it. Uh, t- two ones that I, I could see happening or that I'd like to see happening is one, um, I'd love to see them go get B- Billy Donovan, bring him back to college. Um, I think, I think Billy is just a, you know, ultimate professional. I think he's a great coach. Uh, he, he would be good. Um, and another one that, that I would like to, cause you know, we, we all want Arizona guy, all of our, you know, U of A guys, we want an Arizona presence. Uh, I think a way of doing that, cause it, you know, other than, you know, I mean, Luke's got the credibility cause he's, you know, he's, he's been a head coach in the NBA team, uh, but he hasn't, he's never been a coach in college. I think it'd be hard to just step in to a program like that, where the expectations are so high. Um, you know, but I mean, Damon Stoudemire did a good job at Pacific this year in a way of getting a guy like that, you know, or, or Jason Terry or, you know, one of these type names that aren't probably ready to the, to take over the helm at a, at a school like U of A, uh, go get a guy like uh, John Beeline, give him a two, three, four year deal, hire an Arizona guy to be his associate head coach with a transition uh, plan to have him take over in a few years. Um, something like that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Get John Beeline out of the cold weather, man. He's got to get him out of Ann Arbor, Morgantown. Put him up in the foothills. Enjoy the nice seventy-five degree weather during the winter, right? Man? Absolutely, absolutely. And that, and that guy, that guy can coach. I, I don't care what happened in Cleveland. Um, I mean, watching his Michigan teams and his teams of West Virginia, that that guy is a hell of a coach. We're we're gonna cut this part out because I want Beeline to go to Boston College, my alma mater. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't want this getting any legs here. <laughs> all right, all right, fair <laughs> enough. So, Matt, I'll let you we'll let you out on on this one right here. We were looking at your bio at Arizona, and I got to tell you, man, that picture you had a bit of flow with the curly locks. To quote John Rothstein, "So much Chase Budinger and Matt Babcock." Is that fair to say? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, our our whole team we're a little grungy. We we didn't cut our hair too much, and uh, I, I didn't know we were having photos that day. So I, I would have gotten a haircut. It wasn't usually that crazy, but uh, now I'm a bald guy. You know, I miss I miss the locks. Yeah, it, it, no, I'm, I'm glad you said grungy and didn't cut your hair because it segues perfectly into my last question. Were you on the team with Salim Stoudemire? I was. I was. Yeah, it was uh, it's our team. Our starting lineup was uh, Mustafa Shakur, Salim Stoudemire, Hassan Adams, Ivan Radenovich, and then uh, Channing Fry. Any hysterical Salim stories on the court, off the court that you can share? Well, I mean, you know, him in college, I mean, our team was so stacked. I don't think people realize how, or people forget how good he was in college. I mean, he, he was probably the best college player that I had ever seen. Uh, definitely the best college player I ever played against. And, and he was my workout partner. We were both uh, undersized shooting guard shooters. And uh, God, he just used to murder me in our individual workouts. And our assistant coach uh, that was designated to be our, our uh, development coach. And uh, we always play cutthroat one-on-one and runner, runner, uh, loser had a run. And I ran a lot. <laughs> Salim got me in great shape. Uh, I'll tell you that. And then what's funny is, uh, you know, after school, um, you know, when I became an agent, I ended up being his agent, uh, represent him for a couple of years. Um, and so, you know, he and I were, were close friends in college. And then we, you know, got, got another layer of closeness to afterwards. For my money, the greatest shooter of all time in college basketball. Put his stats <laughs> up against JJ. Agreed. <laughs> Big thanks again to Matt Babcock for shedding some light on the draft process and his history in basketball. Very insightful. Let's finish strong here, fellas, uh, with some segments. First of all, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? My where am I is going to be for Jared Paulson. So if you notice in the intro, I said Ryan Harrow. And for now, with where am I, I'm going Jared Paulson. If you can't tell by now who I was going to pick most likely for the NCAA tournament champion, it was going to be Kentucky. I loved the the Wildcats this year. Loved Calipari this year. After they came back in Gainesville, I was all on Kentucky to win it all. But Jared Paulson, remember him from those Kentucky teams from earlier in the decade? Uh, well, Jared is, no surprise, a financial associate at Thrivent Financial in Lexington. Never left. He is a Kentucky guy. I think he's from Nicholsville or Nichols or something like that. But The thing that jumped out to me the most was his LinkedIn bio section. And let's see if you can identify where it just goes completely haywire and wacky. Quote, as a financial associate of Thrivent Financial, my mission is to help people be wise with money and live generously. We believe that everything we have is a gift from God, and we are going to be good stewards of not only our time and talent, but our finances as well by creating individualized and comprehensive strategy strategies. I strive to help members achieve financial freedom 
and become more efficient stewards of their resources. That's good. I, I remember him. I'm pretty sure Polson was a walk on at Kentucky too. The um, probably reminds of that book I referenced earlier in the episode, Richie farmer, Kentucky legend probably had a lot of Jared Polson in his game. I, I, I do always think it's interesting when people go the religious route on their LinkedIn business profile. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. That's where I was waiting for. I don't know if that popped out to anyone else. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like did Jesus, I, I'm pretty sure Jesus had a pretty good like Roth IRA 401k. Always good. Always good to check in uh, to our Lord and Savior there uh, to see what his financial advice is in these trying times, you know, during this crazy market right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to know the finances of a carpenter prehistoric, right? I mean, that's that's a, that's a, that's something that we need to look at. But Jared Polson, uh, a financial associate for Where Am I? Shark, you got any hugs or no? It's all right if you don't. Um, I'll give a hug. Let me, let me think of a hug on the fly here. Give me one second on a hug. I got no hugs. What, what can I hug? I don't know. Well, I'll give a uh, a hug of sorts, a, a a joking hug, I guess, to uh, Greg Marshall, who has had now five players transfer out of his program since the end of the season, which was literally like three days ago. Talk about the team that may have it worst out of anybody as the tournament uh, leaves us here is Wichita State season ends. Not that they were going to win the national championship or anything, but literally the day after the season ends, uh, five players transfer out of the program. So my hug is for Greg Marshall because I don't have any idea what's going on there at Wichita State. Yeah, I, I, missed, I missed a good opportunity to social distance on my hug right there. I'm not sharp. Ah, you know? I'm not sharp. I'm, I'm downtrodden. That would have been an easy layup, cheap joke. You know, maybe get a chuckle out of like 22 people in a 10 person room, but I missed it. That's on me, boys. I'll get better. Soup, this could have been our elbow bump instead of a hug. I, we all could, honestly, we all could have been better during that. Yeah. But, you know, the brains are fried, fellas. But this is how the virus spreads. It's when we're not thinking, it's when we're not sharp. Okay. That's, it's a good lesson to everybody listening right now. True. Uh, my hug is for you, the listener. I tweeted this out last week, but thank you again for listening to us all year and for interacting with us on Twitter. Even you, uh, Bluff City Friar, you fucking lunatic. I've always stated that March is the best time of the year. It's the best month. And March Madness is the greatest sporting event in the world with a million redeeming qualities from a great Kevin Harlan call to Jim Nance's absurd Final Four tie story that's been circulating past few years uh, to this exact same Capital One commercial with Chuck, Spike Lee, and Samuel L. Jackson that just gets seared into our brains. But there is no doubt that the greatest part of March Madness is, of course, the finale. And that's one shining moment. For what is officially our last episode of the season, please enjoy the sweet sounds of Luther Vandross, and we will see you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. Of your heart 
Feel the wind in your face. It's more than a contest. It's more than a Shining moment, you're willing to try in one shining. 